General Jeff Sessions has had not the best week. President Trump has been publicly criticizing Sessions for his decision to recuse himself from anything related to the Russia investigation at the Justice Department. Intentions have grown amid speculation that Sessions will be fired or he'll give in to pressure from the president and resign. And though at a press conference this week, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that the president at this point is merely disappointed in Sessions. Again, I think that the president is disappointed. He stated that, and I don't think there's anything more to add beyond that at this point. Her comments have done little to end speculation that Sessions' departure may be likely. Trump's approach of publicly and repeatedly criticizing Sessions seems like unusual behavior for a president. And the potential act of firing an attorney general seems rare as well. But would it be? And how unusual is the president's aggressive style of putting pressure on his own cabinet officials? This, of course, is where we come in. Welcome back to Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. On this episode, we'll talk to Tim Naftali, historian and professor, to get a sense of how this moment compares to those in history. And later, we'll talk to Steve Vlodic, professor of law, about the legal limitations on a president when it comes to firing cabinet members and affecting special prosecutor investigations. But first, you guys are lucky because we have the great Ashley Parker here on the show. Ashley is a White House correspondent here at The Post. She is in the thick of this every day. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's start at the beginning here. Who is Jeff Sessions? And and prior to a few weeks ago, what was his relationship like with President Trump? Sure. So Jeff Sessions is currently the attorney general, the embattled, beleaguered attorney general. (laughs) And before that, he was a U.S. senator. And he had been senator from Alabama for 20 years. He gave up a safe Senate seat to take this job, although working as the head of the Department of Justice had been a life's dream of his. And prior to a few weeks ago, his relationship with President Trump was quite good. He was the first senator and for a while the only senator who had endorsed Donald Trump on the campaign. And one thing to keep in mind is I don't want to say Sessions was Trump before Trump was Trump, but in the Senate and in Congress, Sessions did sort of occupy that space. He was responsible Respected by colleagues um, and well-liked, but sort of was on the fringe and outskirts of the Senate as a populist nationalist voice during immigration when they were trying to pass this broad immigration reform about one Congress back. He sort of had the Trump approach of, you know, not not over my dead body, and he worked really hard to kill it. Um, so they were sort of ideologically aligned and then pretty good friends um, out of Sessions' loyalty for endorsing him. So then what's changed over the past few weeks? <laughs> The president's Twitter feed. But what's really changed was that Sessions recused himself from any matters relating to Russia because he had basically had some contacts with Russian officials that he had not disclosed during his Senate confirmation hearing. He recused himself. He did so without telling the president, giving him a heads up. At the time, the president was upset um, because the president obviously wanted a heads up. But he got really enraged and frustrated shortly thereafter because he believes, not incorrectly, that Sessions recusing himself basically set up a chain reaction that led to the appointment of special counsel Bob Mueller, and who is now investigating 
not only if Russia meddled in our election, but he has a pretty broad mandate that could reach into the president's finances, the president's kids' finances, if there was any effort to cover up possible meddling and and Trump blame Sessions for all of this. But Donald Trump didn't publicly speak about his frustration with Jeff Sessions until recently. Is that true? Yes. So some of it spilled out interview in news reports because the president was speaking to people close to him, to advisors, to friends, and it sort of leaked out into the news, uh, first in a New York Times report. But no, the president started speaking about this recently. And and once he started, it sort of felt like he couldn't stop. And then in a series of tweets where it feels like every single morning he's calling his attorney general something more awful than the next, beleaguered, very weak, yelling at him for not, you know, investigating Hillary Clinton, his former political rival. And he's made very clear that he's deeply disappointed in the attorney general, that he would not have even selected him as attorney general had he known that he was going to recuse himself. And at this point, he's now given the go ahead for a lot of his aides and senior White House officials to reflect that disappointment publicly as well. So other than recusing himself, which Trump has said is unfair to the president in that New York Times interview, are there other pieces of Trump's agenda that Sessions has failed to take upon himself to do as attorney general? Are there things that he has not pursued that that Donald Trump has wanted him to? Or has he largely carried out a Justice Department that looks like Trump wants it to? Yes. Well, in, in Trump's public statements, it's become clear that he views Sessions as sort of his personal attorney general um, who he would maybe like to see take on some of his rivals. But no, broadly, Sessions is very in line with what he's doing both publicly and privately in a lot of Trump's agenda in terms of rule of law and immigration and police rights and law enforcement. That is all very much what the president wants and what Attorney General Sessions is doing. Given all of this public pressure and the fact that Sessions is fulfilling the ideas that Donald Trump has laid out, why is is Sessions sort of not saying, forget this, I resign? It's a good question. There's a lot of questions. One is, why hasn't the president just fired Sessions? And two, why hasn't Sessions just resigned? And I think on the sessions resigning, I don't I don't quite know why, but I do know, you know, serving in this role is a life's dream, and I think he is willing to tolerate this kind of public humiliation and feels like he is going to serve unless the president fires him. And it's a a decision he's made and a decision he's sticking to. And the president, why he won't fire Sessions, I think is twofold. I think one is he understands and certainly his aides understand that there will be a real political backlash to this. And it would set off a sort of, again, another chain of reactions that he can't necessarily control and that wouldn't necessarily end up the way he wants or what's best for him. And then secondly, the president actually is not that good at firing people, which <laughs> which is kind of funny, obviously, right? right? Because he rose You're fired. To- <laughs> Correct. I mean, he, he fired who? Like Flava Flav and Clay Aiken. Khloe <laughs> Kardashian. He, he's fired. He's fired a number of people. But the president is actually really horrible at that. And if you look at the way he's run his campaign, even when people have been let go, it it's often been sort of forced upon him. And he doesn't actually utter those words. He makes someone else do it. And a lot of aides have realized that in this Steve Bannon is a classic example. If you fall out of favor in the Trump White House, but you just kind of stick it out, you, you can kind of come back into power and recover because the president does not like to pull the trigger. He's just a little squeamish about it. 
So the president might not be as great at firing people as it would seem, but let's look at the act of firing attorneys general in the past and see how past presidents compare. We spoke with Tim Naftali, a historian and professor of history and public service at New York University. He also served as the founding director of the federal Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum. Here's Tim. When James Comey was fired, there were a lot of comparisons that were made, including on this podcast, to Nixon and when Attorney General Elliot Richardson resigned, rather than fire the special prosecutor who was investigating Watergate. In some ways, the potential resignation or firing of Jeff Sessions would actually be a closer analogy to that than than the James Comey situation, right? I, I think that if the president were to fire Sessions in order to remove Mueller, then you have a parallel. The fact of the matter is, Sessions recused himself, and so um, he doesn't actually control the fate of special counsel Mueller anyway. It's his deputy. So really, the direct parallel would be the president firing the deputy attorney general uh, and putting someone in his place who could fire Mueller. How unusual is it for a president to publicly shame a cabinet member like this? Have we seen that before in history, this sort of style of forcing someone or or attempting to possibly force someone out by shaming them publicly? Well, I can't speak to 19th century examples, but I would be shocked if there were any example that came close to this. Um, Leaving aside the issue of social media, because, of course, that's only applicable to our very modern presidents. Normally what happens is the following. A president becomes uncomfortable with a member of his cabinet. Lieutenants of the president communicate the president's unhappiness to that member of the cabinet. That member of the cabinet is given an opportunity to resign. If that member of the cabinet doesn't resign, then leaks start to appear in the newspaper. If those leaks don't aren't enough, then the press asks the press secretary Does the president have confidence in the cabinet secretary X? If the White House gives a lukewarm response, then that cabinet secretary understands that it's time for him or her to resign. That's normally how this works. It is very rare that the chief executive himself goes to the cabinet secretary and demands a resignation or even more, fires them. A classic case is Ronald Reagan. During the Iran-Contra scandal, became convinced uh, that his chief of staff, Don Regan, had to leave. Ronald Reagan didn't want to fire Don Regan directly. He had friends of Don Regan, who were mutual friends of his, go and talk to Don Regan. Regan didn't want to resign, at least not immediately. Uh, Then the president went to Vice President Bush, George Herbert Walker Bush, and had him meet with Regan. Vice President Bush met with Regan at least twice, with Regan at least twice, to, to push him to resign. Ultimately, Reagan, in a, in a huff, resigned. President Reagan never went to him directly and asked for him to resign. That's how presidents, more often than not, force a member of their cabinet or of their inner circle to leave. This kind of public shaming or taunting is completely unprecedented. So another example in history is during the George W. Bush administration, there was this famous, what's now called hospital showdown, as it's sort of come to be known, between oh, yes. some Bush aides and the attorney general at the time, John Ashcroft. What, what happened then? John Ashcroft was at that point very sick. He was in hospital. James Comey, his deputy, was acting attorney general. 
point. The White House wanted the Justice Department to reauthorize an NSA program that was started after 9-11, and uh, there were people in the Justice Department that had questions about whether it violated some constitutional protections. Representatives of the White House went to Ashcroft's hospital room and asked him to reauthorize the program. Ashcroft said, I'm not Attorney General, that's the Attorney General, and pointed at Comey, and Comey refused to do it. And the White House uh, was a real standoff. It was a reminder that the Attorney General is not the President's lawyer. He is not working for the President. He is working for the American people. Presidents have clearly had disputes with their attorneys general, but exactly how far can a president legally go when they're unhappy with things at the Justice Department? For these answers, we talked to Steve Vladek. He's a law professor at the Texas School of Law. Here's Steve. Okay, so so let's get started with the most basic question here, and that's, is it within the president's legal authority to fire his attorney general? Yeah, this one's actually pretty easy. The answer is yes. I mean, the president has the constitutional authority to fire most of the people who work for him, especially senior officials like cabinet secretaries and the attorney general. The problem is not whether he can fire the attorney general. The problem is, you know, is there some political reason why firing him would cause blowback? That's really just about the politics of the matter, not the constitutional law. So if that's the case, then why does it so rarely happen in history that a president fires his attorney general? So I think, I mean, the reason why this is unusual is because the politics are actually pretty fraught. I mean, the attorney general's job is to both be the nation's chief law enforcement officer and the president's right hand on law enforcement. And so for a president to fire his attorney general is a pretty powerful statement that one of them um, is seriously at odds with the other. And it raises political alarm bells that tend to be enough of a reason to avoid it, if at all possible. Yeah. So one of the reasons why Trump wants to do it is because he says he's frustrated with Attorney General Sessions for his choice to recuse himself. Now, this sort of requires us to go back in time a little bit. But from a legal perspective, was Sessions' choice to recuse himself the correct legal move at the time? Yeah, I'm not even sure it's right to frame it as a choice on Sessions' part to recuse himself. I mean, it seems pretty clear that his contacts with the Russian government, with Russian officials, especially that we've learned about since, um, required Attorney General Sessions to recuse himself from the investigation as a matter of both um, ethics rules, because, you know, Jeff Sessions is a lawyer, and as a matter of the DOJ's own internal guidelines. And so, you know, I don't know that this bell could have been unrung. I mean, I think Jeff Sessions was always going to have to recuse from this investigation. And so that's why the, the real question is whether Trump means what he says, that he would never have appointed Sessions in the first place if he had known this was going to happen. Right, because if that's what he's implying, I mean, he would be suggesting that perhaps he would want Attorney General Sessions to have taken a different approach. And what you're saying here is basically taking a different approach wasn't really an option. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's exactly right, that, that Sessions really didn't have a choice. And so I think the real question is just whether, you know, the president means what he says, that he would have appointed someone else. And, and to be clear about what that means, I mean, whether the president would have appointed an attorney general who he had more reason to believe would have done his bidding vis-a-vis the Russian investigation, even if that was at odds with what the rest of the Justice Department wanted. So... And under normal circumstances, when an attorney general has not recused himself, what kind of influence does an attorney general have 
normally over a special prosecutor investigation. How is the attorney general involved in that process? So under the current regulations, the attorney general is the person who controls the initiation of a special counsel investigation, and it's the attorney general who appoints the special counsel him or herself. So in this case, because Jeff Sessions was recused, it fell to his deputy, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, to serve those roles. Now, importantly, it's not the attorney general's job, or in this case, Rod Rosenstein's job, to actually oversee the investigation on a daily basis. That would defeat the purpose of having a quasi-independent special counsel. Instead, the real stick that the attorney general has in the situation is to potentially fire the special counsel if the special counsel engages in some kind of misconduct, if there's good cause for doing so. So if, if Sessions fired Mueller, the, the special counsel, would it end the investigation? So first, I mean, I think Sessions couldn't fire Mueller because Sessions is still theoretically recused from right. the Russian investigation. But if, but if Rod Rosenstein fired Mueller, that actually wouldn't end the investigation, um, right, because the mandate for the investigation still exists. The question would then be who Rosenstein taps as the successor to Mueller to run the investigation and whether Rosenstein would feel pressure to pick someone who's not going to pursue the matter as aggressively as it appears that Bob Mueller has thus far. And as of reporting right now, is there any indication that Robert Mueller should be fired, that he has that exercised misconduct in any way? No. I mean, I think that, you know, there have been some, I think, fairly transparent efforts by some of the president's supporters, by the president himself on Twitter, to suggest that uh, Mueller and some of the lawyers on his team have a conflict of interest because some of them at various points in the past have donated to Democratic campaigns. But, you know, so has the president, so has Ivanka Trump, so has Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, I think a conflict of interest in this context is more than just, you know, sometime in the past I supported somebody else. A conflict of interest is some reason to believe that they're not going to be able to discharge their duties in a manner that is professionally appropriate. You know, Bob Mueller has made a career on his reputation for integrity and impartiality. I think that's part of why we're not seeing a lot of support from congressional Republicans for this meme that Mueller can't be trusted, that Mueller has a conflict of interest. So if Sessions were to be fired or decide to resign, essentially it would only affect Mueller's investigation if a new attorney general came in and fired Mueller. So my question to you is, what are the options for replacing Jeff Sessions? So the two big options are, first, to just stick with the normal DOJ line of succession under which Rod Rosenstein would become the acting attorney general upon the firing or resignation of Jeff Sessions. That would be, I think, very easy, but I also think politically it's not what the president wants. I mean, Rod Rosenstein has already been subject to the president's criticisms for similar reasons. That's why I think the president would rather pursue the second option, which is to use this fairly obscure statute known as the Federal Vacancies Reform Act of 1998, which would theoretically allow the president to name on an acting interim basis just about any current executive officer who has been confirmed by the Senate to their position. So, you know, think like other cabinet officials or deputies or U.S. attorneys um, or someone within the Justice Department who is at a certain level of seniority and has been there for at least 90 days. You know, I think the question is whether within those pools, the president could find someone who is more willing to just do his bidding when it comes to the Russia investigation and to, and to Mr. Mueller. And as a person with, with expert knowledge of the law, this will now, theoretically, if you were to fire Sessions, it's actions taken against law enforcement officials. 
Does this raise flags? Is this particular area, does it seem like it's murky? Does it seem like any laws are being violated? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I teach my, I teach my constitutional law students that some of our most important constitutional traditions are not actual strict legal commands so much as they are deeply embedded and deeply ingrained norms. And when it comes to the independence of the Justice Department, that really is mostly a norm, right, not a constitutional requirement. Indeed, we have an attorney general who serves at the pleasure of the president atop the Justice Department. So I think the question is, you know, what is the long-term effect of a president who, like President Trump, just doesn't care about these norms and is perfectly happy to run roughshod over these norms? You know, in the long term, it's not good for anybody if courts start to question the independence and impartiality of the Justice Department, if the American people start to question the independence and impartiality of the Justice Department. And so I think the real question is, what are the reactions to the status quo? If President Trump fires the Attorney General, how does Congress react? If President Trump you know, tries to override the special counsel investigation, what is the reaction in public opinion? Because really, those are the checks that are going to matter at the end of the day, much more than the you know, constitutional minutia of how the appointments process works. So we spoke a little bit about The Apprentice, the sort of your fired persona. How much of Trump's approach in in threatening to fire people publicly, sort of humiliating them publicly, and then not necessarily doing so, is designed to intrigue the public, to kind of keep them captivated to see what happens next? How much of it is this reality TV sort of draw by design? I think there's some of that. But I think especially now in the presidency, it's just the president venting and sometimes not being able to control himself or wanting to express what he's feeling in that moment, which is what he often does on Twitter. And I don't know that there's any broader. I mean, here's the thing. People are tuning in to the Donald Trump show. I don't think that he needs to add any more plot twists (laughs) to keep them tuned in. So I do think a lot of this is just he is really upset with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and he can't keep all of that inside of him. Okay, so based on all of this, how do you predict this will play out? Is Sessions getting fired? Is he going to resign? What do you think? (laughs) I don't know. Right now, it feels just like this epic game of chicken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And both men seem pretty entrenched, right? Sessions, for whatever reason, has decided he's not going to resign. And it's now, if he resigned to me, it would just feel a little like quitting, right? Right. (laughs) Like he should have saved himself those days of public humiliation. And the president certainly held open the option of firing him, but he seems pretty disinclined to do that as well. So I don't know. Do you think we'll see more insults from from Trump publicly? Uh, 100%, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So in the fashion that we always end the show, here's this final question, which is, can Trump essentially fire people by humiliation? And does it make him a more or less effective leader? Can he do this? I mean, I think we are seeing him do this. Um, So, yes, he can. And I think it probably makes him a less effective leader. Yeah, one would would think so. (laughs) Okay, well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. As usual, if you guys liked this, share it, tell a friend, let us know, send us mail, send us all of the messages. We read them all. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the flexible and accommodating Carol Alderman, with extra production help this week from Anne Lee, design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, and logo art from Loren Boglio. I'm Lillian Cunningham. Last year, I hosted the Washington Post podcast, Presidential, which explored the leadership and legacy of each of the American presidents. And this year, I have a new show for you, also about American history. It's called Constitutional, and it just launched. It's, of course, about the U.S. Constitution, but in particular, it's about the people who have framed and then reframed our American democracy over time. I hope you'll take a listen to our very first episode. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the Washington Post site at washingtonpost.com constitutional. The Washington 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 Post. Post.